Okay, this is a pair of readings for paleobiology on um, evolutionary faunas. The first one was published by John Sapkowski in um, 1981 in the journal Paleobiology. It's called A Factor Analytic Description of the Phanerozoic Marine Fossil Record. And it's a long one. Abstract. Data on numbers of marine families within 91 metazoan classes from the Phanerozoic Fossil Record are analyzed. The distribution of 2,800 fossil families among the classes is very uneven, with most belonging to a small minority of classes. Similarly, the stratigraphic distribution of the classes is very uneven, with most appearing early in the Paleozoic and many of the smaller classes becoming extinct before the end of that era. However, despite this unevenness, a Q-mode factor analysis indicates that the structure of these data is rather simple. Only three factors are needed to account for more than 90% of the data. These factors are interpreted as reflecting the three great, quote, evolutionary faunas, unquote, of the Phanerozoic marine record. A trilobite-dominated Cambrian fauna, a brachiopod-dominated later Paleozoic fauna, and a mollusk-dominated Mesozoic Cenozoic, or modern fauna. Lesser factors relate to slow taxonomic turnover within the major faunas through time and to unique aspects of particular taxa and times. Each of the three major faunas seems to have its own characteristic diversity, so that its expansion or contraction appears to be intimately associated with a particular phase in the history of total marine diversity. The Cambrian fauna expands rapidly in the early Cambrian radiations and maintains dominance during the middle to late Cambrian, quote, equilibrium. The Paleozoic fauna then ascends to dominance during the Ordovician radiations, which increase diversity dramatically. This new fauna then maintains dominance through the long period of apparent equilibrium that lasts until the end of the Paleozoic era. The modern fauna, which slowly increases in importance during the Paleozoic era, quickly rises to dominance with the late Permian extinctions and maintains that status during the general rise in diversity to the apparent maximum in the Neogene. The increase in diversity associated with the expansion of each new fauna appears to coincide with an approximately exponential decline of the previously dominant fauna, suggesting possible displacement of each evolutionary fauna by its successor. Introduction The fossil record is an extremely complex, multi-component system. When its components are examined individually or in small groups, the complexity of their form, function, interaction, and history often seems overwhelming and almost infinite, making rigorous generalizations nearly impossible to construct. But sometimes it is possible to assemble the elementary components of a complex system into smaller subsystems and collect these subsystems into a larger subsystems, etc., permitting the entire system to be studied hierarchically. Valentin, 1968, Uh, 1973, has emphasized this point with respect to paleoecological systems, which he argues can be assembled into hierarchies of spatially more complex, uh, sorry, more, spatially more expansive subsystems, was a weird hyphen, uh, involving individuals, populations, communities, and provinces. The structure and properties of paleoecological systems can then be investigated at any particular level more or less independently, and valid generalizations appropriate to each level can be formulated. More recently, Eldritch and Krakraft, uh, 1980 and Gould, 1980, have argued that evolutionary or phylogenetic systems are also hierarchical and can be studied at the populational level, species level, or trans-specific macroevolutionary level. Again, valid generalizations about processes and properties at any particular level can be made without requiring complete knowledge of analogous processes and properties at other levels. The history of the Earth's biota may also be amenable to hierarchical study. 
it may be possible in various situations to collect historical entities together into subsystems, and then trace and even explain the general behavior of these subsystems through time without necessarily understanding the behavior of the individual entities. In this paper, I present an analysis that suggests that at least some aspects of the history of changing faunas in the world's oceans can be treated and perhaps best understood within a hierarchical framework. More specifically, I present the results of a statistical analysis of data on the diversity of marine families as seen in the fossil record, which indicate that 1. The major changes in faunal composition that are observed in the marine fossil record through the Phanerozoic time are really rather simple and can be decomposed into a succession of a few major, quote, evolutionary faunas, within each of which are long-term changes caused by slow, quote, background rates of taxonomic turnover, as well as smaller, less regular changes associated with unique aspects of the taxa and times. And two, the major evolutionary faunas are each associated with a different level of taxonomic diversity, so that major changes in faunal composition and faunal diversity seem to be aspects of a single historical process. These conclusions are based on a factor analysis of data on the number of marine families within metazoan classes from the Cambrian through the tertiary. The analysis is similar to that performed by Flesse and Imbri in 1973, but the results differ somewhat because a different treatment and a different database with enhanced taxonomic and stratigraphic resolution. In the text below, I first describe several aspects of the marine fossil record reflecting this data base, and then, after discussing the methodology, present results on the, quote, major themes and, quote, variations upon themes in the faunal composition of the Phanerozoic marine record. Finally, I discuss how these results relate to the history of taxonomic diversity and the extent to which they are dependent on upon taxonomic resolution. The Marine Fossil Record Figure 1 displays the marine fossil record, or at least our knowledge of it, in the form of a clade, or, quote, spindle, diagrams, showing the distribution of families among metazoan classes through the last 650 million years of geologic time. Approximately 2,800 marine fossil families and 91 classes and class level in Certae Cetus are represented. These are distributed over 82 stratigraphic stages, providing an average resolution of approximately 8 million years on the familial diversity of the classes. Absolute time is represented in the vertical dimension, with late Precambrian, Mid-Vendian at the bottom, oh, excuse me, and Pleistocene at the top of each strip. Perhaps the most striking characteristic of the ensemble of clades is the general unevenness of the size, duration, and point of origin. The number of known fossil families within each class is highly skewed, and is generally characteristic of the distribution of subtaxa within higher taxonomic units. More than half of the classes in Figure 1 contain fewer than seven fossil families. In contrast, more than half of the families are contained within seven, the seven largest classes. These classes in descending order are the Cephalopoda, the Articulata, or Brachiopoda, Crinoida, Crinoidea, um, Osteichthys, Gastropoda, Bivalvia, and Trilobata. Trilobita, sorry. An additional 25% of known fossil families are distributed among the next nine largest classes. The Anthozoa, Malacostraca, um, Ostracoda, Echinoidea, Gymnatolemata, Stenolemata, um, Demospongia, Stelleroidea, and Chondrichthys. Thus, most of the marine fossil record is contributed to just a small handful, by just a handful of animal groups. The times of first appearance of the classes is also highly skewed, reflecting the early origin of most major groups of animals. 
Nearly two-thirds, 63% of the classes, make their appearances in the first quarter of the illustrated time, i.e. the Vendian and Cambrian, whereas only 4% appear in the last half, i.e. the Permian to Pleistocene. Many of the clades that originate early in the Paleozoic era remain small and become extinct prior to the end of that era, while those that expand to substantial widths mostly persist to the present. This pattern makes the Paleozoic era appear as the, quote, age of small clades, and the Mesozoic and Cenozoic eras as the age of grand old established clades. Of course, there are many exceptions to this generalization. Most note, oh god, I lost it. Hold on. Okay, I guess I yeeted myself back to the beginning for a second, but it's fixed now. Um, most noticeable is the Trilobita, which expands more rapidly than any other class during the Cambrian period, but then, come on, work with me, becomes extinct by the end of the Paleozoic era. At the other extreme are a variety of very thin clades that appear very early in the Phanerozoic and then persist into the present without gaining any appreciable diversity. Most of these long, narrow clades, however, represent soft-bodied animals whose fossil records are known only from one or a few occurrences. For example, the Nemertina, the Nemerta, uh, Nemeratoda, the Priapulida, uh, Cypunculolida, I created words. Um, in fact, approximately 20% of the clades illustrated in Figure 1 owe their existences to the known fossil record of only three deposits, the Burgess Shale, the Hunsruck Shale, and the Maison Creek uh, concretions. However, these three fossil deposits together are responsible for less than 2% of known fossil families. Simple statistical generalizations like, generalizations like these are fairly easy to make by means of visual uh, examination of the pictographs in Figure 1. Rigorous historical generalizations concerning variations in the shapes of clades through time are more difficult, as noted by Gould et al., 1977. Upon a Causal circumstance, casual, which which meaning do they mean? I wonder. Upon casual circumspection, each clade appears to have its own pattern of variation, which it shares with no other clade, and even limited patterns of covariation seen among scattered clades in restricted intervals of time seem to be con contradicted by other clades in other parts of the geologic record. For example, although most classes expand during the Paleozoic era, the tempo and mode of expansion are extremely variable. Some large groups, such as the Crinoidea, diversify considerably, while others, such as the Osteichthys, diversify only a little. Some groups following their appearances expand almost continuously throughout the Paleozoic, as seen in the Gastropoda, Bivalvia, and Articulata. Others expand to some point and then maintain an almost constant diversity, as seen in Cephalopoda, and perhaps Polycata. Still others expand to a maximum and then contract until the end of the Paleozoic, as seen in the Anthozoa, Ostracoda, and Stellaroidea. One of the most noticeable historical features in Figure 1 is the marked contrast of classes associated with the late Permian extinctions at the end of the Paleozoic era. This great extinction event is seen as the, quote, waste in many of the clade diagrams. But even at this very critical point in history, the variation among clades remains considerable. Only four of the 91 classes actually become extinct during the late Permian, and of these, only the Blastoidea is abruptly truncated. The other three classes, the Rostroconchia, Hyolitha, and Trilobita, have all been waning for some time prior to their Permian demise. Among the groups that survived the Permian extinctions, responses to the event are quite variable. 
Some groups, particularly the Articulata and Crinoidea, contract markedly and never again uh, regain their former importance. Others, including the Anthozoa and Cephalopoda, also contract markedly but then re-expand to their former sizes. Still others, such as the Demospongia and the Gastropoda, show only moderate responses to the extinction event, while finally a few large groups, notably the Bivalvia, uh, Malacostraca, and Stelleroidea, show virtually no response, at least at the family level. The Mesozoic and Cenozoic eras comprise a 200 million year interval of expansion for many of the groups that survived the Permian extinctions. Spectacular evolutionary radiations are seen in the Gastropoda, Bivalvia, and Osteichthys, and to some slightly lesser extent, the Malacostraca, uh, Gymno, Lemata, and Echinoidea. Little real contrast is evident in the shape and distribution of the class level clades between the Mesozoic and Cenozoic. At most, a slight differentiation can be made between the large groups that radiate throughout the post-Paleozoic in interval, including the classes listed immediately above, and those groups that radiate in the Mesozoic and, quote, stabilize, unquote, in the Cenozoic, such as the sponge classes and the Anthozoa, Sten... oh god, Steno, Lemata, and perhaps Stelleroidea. I'll get better at them. The only major extinction, uh, exception to this overall pattern of post-Paleozoic radiation might involve the Cephalopoda. This class contrasts markedly at the end of the Mesozoic, reflecting the extinction of ammonites. However, the lasting effects of this contraction may be more apparent than real, and may simply reflect the ascendancy of the predominantly soft-bodied coleoids over the shelled nautiloids and ammonoids. Today, there are approximately 33 families of cephalopods in the oceans, which is about equal to the average familial diversity of the class during both the Paleozoic and Mesozoic eras. Historical generalizations beyond this scanty qualitative summary become difficult to make. Questions concerning how much temporal co-variation actually exists among the various classes and how important variations within specific geologic periods are relative to overall patterns of expansion or contraction are best approached with statistical analysis. Multivariate techniques, especially factor analysis, are particularly appropriate since they are capable of reducing the seemingly disparate variation among numerous clades to a few, quote, composite clades, and of measuring how well those composite clades describe the data at hand. In the remaining sections of this paper, I shall use factor analysis to analyze the data from figure one. From the results, I shall argue that major patterns of Phanerozoic evolution in the oceans can be described in terms of just a few great evolutionary faunas that succeed one another in time. Methodology Factor analysis is a widely used multivariate statistical technique for reducing the variation in a data set with many variables and samples to a few composite variables or samples. Flessa and Imbri, 1973, Flessa and Levinton, 1975, and Smith, 1977, have discussed how factor analysis can be used to investigate faunal patterns in the data comparable to those illustrated in Figure 1. These authors have used a form of Q-mode factor analysis, developed by Imbri, 1963, which attempts to resolve each sample within a data array into a mixture of some small number of uncorrelated orthogonal end members. These end members are the, quote, factors, and can be conceptualized as idealized samples. Each actual sample is related to each factor by a, quote, loading, which is essentially the square root of the proportion of the sample that is contributed by that end member. The compositions of the factors are indicated by, quote, factor scores, unquote, which show how the variables relate to the factors. 
In the context of the present analysis, if each factor is an idealized sample, then the scores are measures of the relative importance or diversity of each taxon within that sample. Flessa and Imbri 1973 conceptualized taxa that share large positive scores on a single factor as forming a, quote, diversity association. The loading of a stratigraphic interval onto this factor then indicates the relative importance of that diversity association in determining the faunal composition of the interval. The actual mechanics of performing a Q-mode factor analysis are succinctly described in the geologically oriented textbooks on multivariate statistics by Georges uh, Georg et al., 1976, and Mather, 1976. See also Cloven, 1975. The mechanics basically involve computing the eigenvectors of the matrix of cross-products cross of all normalized samples, then determining how many of these eigenvectors are important by examining the magnitudes of the associated eigenvalues, which can be conceptualized as the averages of the loadings on each factor. And finally, rotating the selected eigenvectors to a, quote, simple structure or n-member configuration. Rotation is necessary in an analysis like the one presented here because it avoids the nonsense associations that appear in raw eigenvectors. For example, the first eigenvector for the data in figure 1 would present the average fauna of the entire figure and thus would include positive contributions from both trilobites and marine mammals. Rotation, however, would segregate these classes into separate factors, properly reflecting their complete lack of stratigraphic overlap. Several modifications of the data in figure 1 were made prior to the analysis. Most important was a manipulation performed to equalize the stratigraphic resolution of the data set. The distributions of, sorry, the durations of stratigraphic intervals tend to increase back through time, with the average lengths of the Mesozoic and Cenozoic stages being under 6 million years, and the average length of the Paleozoic stages being just under 10 million years. This is true even with the inclusion of the stage-level subdivisions of the Cambrian. If this situation were left unaltered, there would be fewer, quote, samples per unit time from the Paleozoic, and therefore a faunal change per unit of the Paleozoic time would receive less weight relative to the Mesozoic and Cenozoic in the statistical analysis. To avoid this problem, one of the, sh the short two shortest contiguous stages out of every three in the Mesozoic and Cenozoic were lumped together, reducing the number of post-Paleozoic stratigraphic units from 41 to 27. This increased the average duration to about 9 million years, which is only slightly shorter than the average Paleozoic stage. Two other aspects of the analyzed data should be noted. First, data from neither the recent nor the Vendian were included in the factor analysis. Both of these times represent unusual samples of the marine fauna, and the recent because it's a virtually perfect sample, including 1,000 soft-bodied families unknown as fossils, and the Vendian because it is an extremely low-diversity sample of predominantly soft-bodied animals. The unique character of the Vendian fossil record may be due primarily due to uh, two taphonomic processes operating during that interval of time, making this resultant fossil fauna basically incomparable to later faunas. For this reason, and because of the extremely low, oh god, end member configuration. Wait, what? And because of the extremely low taxonomic stress. Because of the extremely low stratigraphic resolution, the Vendian was excluded from the data, making the analytic results applicable only to the Phanerozoic sensu stricto. Note that the exclusion of the Vendian eliminated one class, the Pelata, Pelatantoname, um, reducing the number of analyzed classes to 90. A second important aspect of the data is that the Ar Archaeocyathids and Radiocyathids which are not included in figure one, were also not used in the main factor analysis. 
these two extinct groups, which are important only in the lower Cambrian, traditionally have been classified among the Metazoa, or at least Parazoa. This status, however, has been questioned recently by several workers who have emphasized both differences from true animal groups and similarities to various plant groups. My analysis of diversity patterns in the Cambrian also suggests that archaeocyathids had a unique evolutionary history, which is not consistent with the idea that these are not metazoans. However, good arguments for the animal-like nature of archaeocyathids remain, and the questions of their affinity are by no means resolved. Thus, I've repeated certain parts of this factor analysis with the five, quote, classes of archaeocyathids and radiocyathids recognized by Hill, 1972, included among the data. The results are noted in the relevant parts of the discussion below. The Cribiocyathida, which are discussed along with the Archaeocyathids by Hill in 1972, were included among the Polychaeta in all analyses, following Glaisner, um, 1976. Thus, the primary data array used in the factor analysis consists of numbers of marine families with 90 metazoan classes. Following the procedure of Flesse and Imbri 1973 and Smith 1977, the classes were treated as variables that were, quote, sampled in each of 63 stratigraphic intervals ranging from the earliest Cambrian to the Pliopleistocene. However, in contrast to the previous authors, no attempt was made to equalize the weights of the variables by percent range or any other transformation. This is because I'm more interested here in succinctly summarizing the fauna of each interval of time than in searching for associations of taxa that share common times of maximum and minimum diversities. In addition, the avoidance of variable transformations prevents rare soft-bodied groups present in some intervals, quote, by chance, or by range extension from being assigned more weight in the analysis than is warranted by their scanty fossil records. The result of this treatment of the raw data was that the diversities of any, quote, sample ranged from 0 to 145 families. However, nearly one-third of the quote, variables, had maximum diversities of one, and just over half had maximum diversities of less than five. All diversities were converted to relative diversities within samples by the normalization procedure used in Q-mode factor analysis. All factor analyses were performed with the BMDP4M computer program. This general purpose factor analysis program was used instead of the popular CAFBAC Q-mode vector analysis program described by Clavin and Imbri 1971, simply because the version of CABFAC available to me was too small to handle the 90 variables in the data uh, array. Rather than modify this program, I, quote, tricked the BMDP4M program into performing comparable computations by one, transposing the raw data so that stratigraphic intervals appeared as columns in the input array, and two, instructing the program to compute a, quote, correlation matrix about zero, unquote, rather than the column means. The resultant, quote, correlation matrix was actually a cosine theta matrix measuring the pairwise faunal similarities of the stratigraphic intervals. All factors were computed from this matrix. Predetermined numbers of factors were rotated to end member positions using the Veramax procedure in separate runs of BMDP4M. Factor analysis results. Number of factors. Perhaps the most arbitrary aspect of most factor analyses is determining how many factors are necessary to describe the data adequately. This determination, however, should be done prior to any rotation so that information is considered to be, that is considered to be trivial or to be due to observational error does not influence the final composition of factors. There are a variety of guidelines for determining just how many factors are important in a given analysis. 
Most workers select factors that have relatively large eigenvalues, which sum to arbitrarily, which sum to some arbitrarily large value. These two criteria were used here with the additional stipulation that the difference between successive eigenvalues be relatively large. The reason for this is that a Q-mode factor analysis of a random number uh, tape a random number table would produce some eigenvalues that were larger than others, but with differences that were rather small. If the eigenvalues were sorted from the largest to smallest and plotted logarithmically against their ranks to produce a, quote, scree graph, the points would fall close to a straight line with a relatively gentle slope. If several sets of systematically correlated variables were added to the random number table and the entire analysis repeated, the scree graph would exhibit an initial rapid decay of eigenvalues associated with the systematic variables, followed by an abrupt break in slope, and then a much gentler decay of eigenvalues associated with the statistical, quote, noise attributed by the random numbers. The scree graph resulting from the eigenanalysis of the modified faunal data is illustrated in figure two. The graph suggests an interesting structure underlying the faunal data with three rather than two distinct sets of factors, as indicated by the interpretive straight lines fitted to the points. If there were only two sets of points falling along line segments of substantially different slope, it might be possible to interpret the structure of the observed fossil record as consisting of a few systematic components of faunal variation coupled with random observational errors, as in the conceptual model above. However, three sets of eigenvalues apparent in figure two actually suggest a more interesting hierarchical structure to the marine fossil record. The first three factors, which together account for nearly 91% of the data, seem to represent the, quote, three great evolutionary faunas, unquote, of the Phanerozoic marine fossil record. These factors, when rotated, receive positive loadings from virtually all stratigraphic intervals, preserve large communalities for all but two intervals, receive few large negative scores from the classes, and remain essentially invariant when, the more, factor when more factors are added and rotated. The next set of four factors accounts for an additional 7.5% of the data and can be considered as reflecting secondary temporal variations or contrasts within the major evolutionary faunas. Factors within this set display both positive and negative loadings, which, with only one exception, are always smaller than the maximum loadings on the first three factors for any given stratigraphic interval. The final set of factors in figure two probably encompasses both, quote, observational error um, and minor faunal variations that involve a few families within a few adjacent stratigraphic intervals. No factor in this set accounts for more than 0.3% of the total faunal data, or more than 5% of the faunal composition of any single stratigraphic interval. Factors 1 through 3. The three great marine faunas of the Phanerozoic. Loadings of stratigraphic intervals on the first three rotated factors are plotted against absolute time in figure 3. Note that the factors have been reordered into temporal sequence and renumbered with Roman numerals. The importance of each rotated factor is indicated by the relative eigenvalue, lambda, given at the bottom of the figure. Factor scores representing the taxonomic composition of the three factors are summarized in table 1. Note that very few classes have large negative scores on any given factor and that those which do are the classes most important on other factors, as, for example, the articulata, crinoidea, and trilobita of, on factor 3. 
these negative scores are somewhat difficult to interpret, but seem to reflect, basically, the conspicuous absence of a diverse class and or a decline in that class when the fauna represented by the particular factor is expanding or vice versa. The negative scores originate from somewhat arbitrary mathema mathematical constraint uh, that the factors be uncorrelated. This evidently leads to rotated factors being positioned just beyond the realm of real faunas, which comprise the stratigraphic intervals and which, of course, have no negative constituents. Oblique rotation of the factors presumably would avoid this problem. However, judging from the very high maximal loadings of particular stratigraphic intervals on the orthogonal factors, oblique rotation would not substantially alter the loadings. Thus, such rotation was not attempted. The temporal pattern of variation exhibited by the loadings in figure 3 suggests that there is a fundamental simplicity to which all the faunal change we see in the marine fossil record. This seems true in spite of the almost chaotic variation initially apparent in figure 1. Again, over 90% of the clade data can be explained in terms of three, quote, evolutionary faunas, each of which... Oh god, why? Uh, each of which is dominant for a long interval of time and then is rapidly replaced by another fauna. This pattern of long intervals of approximate stability, punctuated by rapid rises and falls of factor loadings, seems to be quite different from the patterns that can be generated from simple random branching processes. Smith, 1977, showed that factor loadings computed for stochastic clades or, even, or for evenly distributed independent clades exhibit bell-shaped patterns of change with respect to time. The loadings on any given factor increase slowly through time reach a relatively narrow, rounded peak, and then decline slowly again for the remainder of time. Smith argued that this was basically the pattern uncovered by Flessa and Imbri, 1973, and that, therefore, one cannot conclude that their analysis demonstrated the existence of distinct, temporally coherent, quote, diversity associations, unquote. In contrast, the results presented in Figure 3 of the present paper differ considerably from the patterns generated by Smith 1977, and therefore suggest that there may be more structure to the marine fossil record than uncovered by Flessa and Imbri. Still, there are similarities between the two analyses despite substantial differences in data and treatment. The temporal variations in factors 1, 2, and 3 in Figure 3 correspond approximately to Flessa's and Imbri's marine factors 1, 3, and 7, respectively. The first factor in figure 3 encompasses the Cambrian fauna. As indicated by the scores in table 1, this factor is dominated by the Trilobita, with additional important contributions by the Polycata, including the Cribe... you know, I'm not going to read those. Um, Monoplacophoria, Inarticulata, Hyolitha, others. Together, these classes constitute nearly 93% of the fauna represented by factor 1. The factor rises very quickly through the two to motion intervals, the only intervals not adequately described by the first three factors, and then completely dominates the data for the remainder of the Cambrian period. After the start of the Ordovician, the factor begins a rapid decline, which continues in an approximately exponential fashion until the late Paleozoic era. Thereafter, the factor maintains low loadings, representing the persistence of a few families of inarticulate brachiopods, monoplacophorans, uh, Paganophorans, and perhaps other, several other classes. The succeeding Paleozoic fauna, which is encompassed by factor 2, is present in low abundance through the Cambrian period, but then bursts to dominance with the great radiation of the, quote, Shelley fauna during the Ordovician. Classes that are important in this factor include Articulata, Crinoidea, Ostracoda, Cephalopoda, and Anthozoa, and to a lesser extent, uh, Stenolemata, Gastropoda, Stellaroidea, and Bivalvia, Table 1. 
Together, these classes constitute a taxonomically more diverse group than the Cambrian fauna. Following its Ordovician rise, Factor II maintains complete dominance for some 200 million years until the end of the Paleozoic era. The great extinction event of the late Permian affects a rapid turnaround in faunas, and Factor II falls to a subdominant position, which it maintains throughout most of the Mesozoic. Um, Mesozoic era. The final decline of the Paleozoic fauna appears to begin in the late Cretaceous, and to continue again in an approximately exponential manner through the Cenozoic. Factor three represents the Cenozoic, or sorry, Mesozoic Cenozoic or modern fauna. During the Cambrian period, this factor has very small positive to negative loadings, none of which probably differs significantly from zero. Factor three first becomes important during the Ordovician period, at the same time that factor two is rapidly rising. Factor three then increases very slowly through the remainder of the Paleozoic era, but ascends rapidly to dominance at the expense of factor two during the latest Permian and earliest Triassic. The scores summarized in table one indicate that factor three is dominated by mollusks, primarily gastropoda and bivalvia, and to a lesser extent, cephalopoda. Other important groups include osteichthys, malacostroda, echinoidea, gymnolemata, demospongia, and uh, hexactinellida. Chondrichthys, Polycata, and Stellaroidea. Whew. Again, the primary constituents of this factor seem somewhat more diverse than those preceding it. Notice, however, that some of the classes important on factor 3 are also important on other factors. This dual importance may reflect consistently high familial diversities over long intervals of time, as seen, for example, in the bivalvia, or strongly polymodal diversities, as seen in the stenolemata, um, in most instances, however, the presence of high scores on more than one factor probably reflects a heterogeneous taxonomic structure underlying the class. For example, the high scores of gastropoda, anthozoa, and cephalopoda on factor 3 reflect the Mesozoic and Cenozoic importance of meso-, neo-, and opistho-brank uh, gastropods, sclera sclera scleractinian corals, and aminoid and coleoid cephalopods, or celoid, celioid, coleoid, who knows? These groups are different from the gastro oh god archaeogastropods okay that wasn't so bad rugos and tabulate corals and nautiloid cephalopods which are responsible for the high scores of the same classes on the paleozoic factor 2 factors 4 through 7 variations upon themes if the first three factors can be considered as reflecting the great evolutionary faunas, or fundamental compositional themes, of the Phanerozoic Oceans, then the next four factors must be considered variations upon these... upon these themes. The second set of four factors picks up two kinds of secondary faunal variations. One, long-term changes in faunal composition caused by normal or background taxonomic turnover within the major evolutionary faunas during the lengthy stretches of post-Ordovician Paleozoic and the Mesozoic Cenozoic. Interesting, oh, two, shorter changes, shorter-term changes associated with major, major evolutionary radiations. Interestingly, interestingly, much of the residual temporal variation left from the first three factors seems to be concentrated in the intervals of the great evolutionary radiations, specifically the early Cambrian, Ordovician, Triassic, and late Cretaceous tertiary. Most of this residue is incorporated into factors four through seven, which, when rotated along the first three factors, account for 8.5% of the faunal data. It should be noted that this rotation barely changes the loadings and scores on factors one and three, one through three, 
and in fact does not leave factors 4 through 7 substantially different from the unrotated 4th through 7th principal vectors. Um, loadings on rotated factors 4 through 7 are graphed against time in figure 4. The factors have been reordered and renumbered in the same manner as the factors in figure 3. As can be seen by comparison to figure 3, only one factor in figure 4 dominates the taxonomic composition of any of the 63 stratigraphic intervals. This single factor is factor 4, which encompasses the pre-trilobite to motion fauna of the earliest part of the Cambrian period. From the partial list of scores in Table 2, it can be seen that this fauna includes many of the classes important in the Cambrian Factor 1, such as the Polycata, uh, Pogo, Pogonophora, Hyolitha, Monoplacophora, but excludes Trilobita, as indicated by the large negative score of that class on Factor 4. Archaeocyathids fall almost exclusively into this factor when they are included in the analysis. Their addition increases the proportion of the data incorporated into factor 4 from 3.2% to 5.8% and extends the range of the factor's dominance up to the Batomian stage of the Lower Cambrian. The apparent importance of factor 4 both with and without archaeocyathids probably reflects the statistics of small samples more than any broad patterns of evolutionary interest. Consider a large urn filled with balls of many colors. If we begin drawing balls at random from the urn, the color composition of our sample initially will be unstable and will fluctuate markedly as the first few balls are drawn. Only as the sample becomes large will the composition stabilize and approach the, po the populational composition of the urn. The same kind of statistical variation seems to be causing the very low diversity fauna of the earliest Cambrian to appear unique in the factor analysis. This is not to claim that the composition of this fauna is somehow random. Rather, it is simply a statement that the appearance of a new taxon governed by whatever causes influences the proportional composition of a low-diversity fauna more than a high-diversity fauna, so that the compositions of faunas can be expected to vary more rapidly during times of low diversity than in times of high diversity. Faunal variation during the second great evolutionary radiation of the Phanerozoic is encompassed by factor 5. This Ordovician radiation factor receives large positive scores from classes that undergo major evolutionary expansions very early in the Ordovician period. Included among these are the Cephalopoda, Graptolithina, Graptolithina, um, Cystoidea, Conodontophora, and Sten Stenolemata. These groups are contrasted to a set of classes, including the Anthozoa, Crinoidea, and Malacostraca. That extend further back into the Cambrian period and take more of the Paleozoic era to attain their maximum diversities. The relatively high loadings on factor 5 in the Triassic following the Permian extinctions may be largely accidental, reflecting the rapid rediversification of cephalopods, but ammonoids rather than nautiloids, and the marked constriction of anthrozoans and crinoids. The high loadings in the Ordovician and secondary, secondary high in the Triassic make factor 5 comparable in stratigraphic distribution to marine factor 2 of Flessa and Imbri, 1973. Factor, four, or factor 6, which is comparable to Flessa's and Imbri's marine factor 4, appears primarily to pick up the slow taxonomic turnover that occurs throughout the long post-Ordovician stretch of the Paleozoic era. This background change translates into a mild contrast in faunal composition between the Middle and Late Paleozoic, heightened, perhaps, by the short-term Frasnian femenian extinction event. The classes that have large negative scores on factor 6 are those that reach their maximum Paleozoic diversities in the early to middle part of the era and are declining in or have declined by the Permian. 
These include the Anthozoa, Stenolemata, Echinoidea, Ostracoda, and Crinoidea. These classes are contrasted to several large groups whose greatest post-Ordovician diversities are attained in Permian, in the Permian period. Included most prominently among these are the Articulata, Mollusca, bivalve cephalopods and gastropods, Polycata, and Calcarea, or porifera, uh, within Porifera, I think, or maybe it's been synonymized, I don't know. The carryover of factor six into the early Mesozoic reflects the relatively high Triassic diversities of most of the latter sets of classes, excepting, of course, Articulata, as compared to the reduced diversities and delayed radiations of the first set. The small positive loadings this factor receives low in the Ordovician seems to reflect the rapid radiations of Articulata, Bivalvia, and Cephalopoda in the first half of that period. The last factor in figure 4 finally contrasts the class-level faunas of the Mesozoic and Cenozoic. This factor is similar in stratigraphic distribution and, to a lesser extent, taxonomic composition to marine factor 6 of Flesse and Imbri 1973. The classes that are most influential in affecting the negative loadings on factor eight, uh, 7 over the Mesozoic intervals are the Bivalvia, Cephalopoda, Calcarea, and Demospongia, marine Reptilia, and Stellaroidea. These large classes, with the exception of Bivalvia, attain familial diversities in the Mesozoic that are far greater than or equal to the maximum Cenozoic diversities. This is in marked contrast with the Osteichthys and Gymnolemata, which undergo particularly massive radiations in the Cenozoic and have large positive scores of, on factor 7. Classes with smaller positive scores, i.e. 0.05 to 0.1, include gastropoda, chondrichthys, and marine mammalia. The large negative score of the bivalvia and the large positive score of the articulata are somewhat difficult to interpret. Evidently, the inclusion of the bivalvia among the Mesozoic group signifies that bivalves constitute a smaller portion of the total modern fauna in the Cenozoic than in the Mesozoic, despite their continuing expansion. The even more anomalous inclusion of the articulata among the Cenozoic classes probably reflects a strong negative correlation between the Phanerozoic diversities of articulate brachiopods and of several of the Mesozoic groups, instead of any importance of brachiopods per se during the Cenozoic era. The proportion of the faunal data accounted for by factor 7 is only 2.2%, ranking it fifth in importance among the factors. Thus, the class-level distinction between the faunas of the Mesozoic and Cenozoic eras appears to be of secondary importance, and certainly of less importance than differences between the Paleozoic and Mesozoic eras, or even the Cambrian and Ordovician periods. Relationship to Total Diversity The primary conclusion that can be drawn from the factor analysis is that the faunal change we see in the Phanerozoic marine fossil record is actually rather simple, at least at the level of families within classes. But this should be of no real surprise to any paleontologist who has walked out a variety of stratigraphic uh, sections or has picked through a number of museum drawers. Stratigraphic collections from the Cambrian seem to be dominated by trilobites, whereas those from later Paleozoic often have numerous articulate brachiopods, or perhaps crinoids, nautiloids, and rugose corals. Collections from the Mesozoic or Cenozoic, in contrast, usually contain an inordinate number of mollusks. It is gratifying that the computer-based statistical analysis produces results that are consistent with field intuition. Of course, the factor analysis does more than merely formalize intuition. It also measures the importance of each fauna and the magnitude of change between faunas. 
uh, C.F. Flessa and Imbri, 1973, and perhaps more importantly, identifies the full history of each fauna and separates long-term or minor changes within each from the consistent patterns that make it coherent. Thus, for example, the three-factor solution shows that the quote modern fauna has a history that extends with apparently only minor change well back into the Paleozoic, and that the modern fauna's rise to dominance occurred very rapidly near the beginning of the Mesozoic. One very interesting aspect of the history of each major evolutionary fauna is that its rise and decline appear to be intimately related to patterns of total diversity in the Phanerozoic oceans. This can be shown graphically by scaling the loadings of the first three factors to total family familial diversity, as is illustrated in figure 5. The rescaling for this figure was accomplished by first squaring the factor loadings so that they became proportions of unity and then slowly, simply multiplying each by the total number of families known from each interval of time. Thus, in figure 5, the dark uppermost curve represents the total familial diversity through the Phanerozoic, obtained by summing all the clade diagrams in figure 1. The field labeled I is, or is that 1? Uh, is the amount of this diversity accounted for by the Cambrian factor 1. The field labeled 2 is that amount accounted for by Paleozoic factor 2, etc. Finally, the stippled field below, most curve, below the uppermost curve represents the residual diversity that cannot be accounted for by the first three factors alone. Note that compared to the other fields, the residual field is rather small and uniform, becoming large only in the neogene. This suggests once again that the first three factors, the quote, great evolutionary faunas they represent, provide an adequate first order description of the composition and size of marine faunas through the Phanerozoic. The curve for total diversity in figure 5 suggests that the Phanerozoic can be divided into three basic intervals, each characterized by a different quote, style of diversification. These intervals are 1, the Cambrian period, encompassing the earthly Cambrian radiations, wait, the, the what? early, sorry, Cambrian radiations and mid to late Cambrian diversity, quote, plateau, two, the later Paleozoic interval, including the Ordovician radiations and the Silurian to Permian plateau, and three, the post-Paleozoic or Mesozoic Cenozoic interval, encompassing the general rise in diversity from the early Triassic low to the Neogene high, excuse me. These intervals are, of course, very similar to the three, quote, multiple equilibria observed by Bangbach, 1977, in his study of within-community species richness through the Phanerozoic. This basic similarity in pattern from two very different data bases suggests that the triad of diversity intervals is a robust feature of Phanerozoic evolutionary history. Differences in pattern between Bombach's species richness data and the taxonomic diversity data in Figure 5 orig originate principally from, the two sources, from two sources. One, the higher stratigraphic resolution of the taxonomic diversity data, stage data, stage level as opposed to system level resolution, which shows that the Ordovician and Jurassic are transitional periods associated with the Paleozoic and post-Paleozoic intervals, respectively. This cannot be easily seen when all data from these systems are averaged. And two, sampling biases specific to taxonomic diversity data, especially the quote, pull of the recent which as a result of the essentially perfect record from the modern oceans causes taxa from the younger part of the Phanerozoic to have stratigraphic ranges that are extenu extenuated or more accurately less truncated than taxa from older parts. This sampling bias probably causes the rise in diversity toward the recent to be over-accentuated in figure 5. A more accurate 
picture of the pattern, but not magnitude of post-Paleozoic diversification might be obtained if the diversity curve from the Jurassic and early Cretaceous were simply extrapolated along the upwardly convex trend to the recent, producing the third, quote, multiple equilibrium seen by Bombach, 1977. The scaling of the three factors to total diversity shows that each of the major evolutionary faunas is associated with, and perhaps even the cause of, a specific phase of diversification and, quote, equilibrium. The Cambrian fauna, factor one, clearly dominates the first phase. However, with the onset of the Ordovician radiations, the Cambrian fauna quickly declines and becomes unimportant by the late Paleozoic era. The Ordovician radiations appear to be largely associated with the diversification of the Paleozoic fauna factor 2, which is primarily which is the primary contributor to the new higher familial diversity that lasts until the end of the Paleozoic era. But the modern fauna factor 3 also becomes a significant constituent during the Ordovician radiations and in fact seems to grow very slowly in diversity throughout the remaining 200 million years of the Paleozoic era. The importance of the late Permian extinctions in shaping Phanerozoic history is very evident in Figure 5. Not only is familial diversity reduced by nearly 50% during this event, but a major turnover in taxonomic composition is also affected, with the modern fauna rapidly expanding to dominance. Thus, the Permian extinctions would appear to have been somewhat selective, affecting members of the previously dominant Paleozoic fauna to a greater degree than the members of the slowly growing modern fauna. The modern fauna appears to be largely responsible for the growth of diversity subsequent to the Permian extinctions. The remnants of the Paleozoic fauna do contribute a minor amount to the total diversity through the Mesozoic era, but appear to decline rapidly through the Cenozoic. The pattern of growth and decline of fauna as evident in Figure 5 is broadly suggestive of displacement among the three great faunas of the Phanerozoic. In an analysis of early Phanerozoic marine families, Sepkowski 19. 79, I found that changes in diversity between the Cambrian and Ordovician periods could be described quantitatively by a pair of coupled logistic curves. The mathematics indicated that if two faunas had different diversification rates and equilibria, the fauna with the higher rate and lower equilibrium could initially dominate the system. However, after a slow start, the fauna with higher equilibrium diversity could grow very quickly, displacing the first fauna and causing, <coughs> causing it to decay exponentially to zero. This pattern appears, to some extent, in the interaction between the Cambrian and Paleozoic faunas in Figure 5, particularly in the exponential decay of the former shortly after the, quote, equilibrial diversity of the Cambrian is exceeded during the Ordovician radiations. What is not so evident is the slow but steady growth of the Paleozoic fauna through the Cambrian period. A slow, if irregular, increase in the modern faunas during the, quote, equilibrium phase of the Paleozoic fauna is evident in Figure 5, suggesting a similar kind of displacement interaction might have existed between these two faunas. But what is more suggestive of is the behavior of the Paleozoic fauna after the Permian extinctions. The fauna falters during the Triassic, although the irregularity of the curve may reflect a simple statistical error, and falls to a minimum diversity during the late Triassic extinctions. But then the Paleozoic fauna begins to re-diversify during the general rebound from the extinction event and continues to diversify until the late Jurassic early Cretaceous interval. Um, quote, Mesozoic marine revolution, when familial, total familial diversity finally exceeds the level of the apparent Paleozoic equilibrium. 
Afterwards, the Paleozoic fauna appears to decay in a roughly exponential fashion, just as the Cambrian fauna did after its equilibrium was exceeded during the Ordovician period. These patterns are suggestive, but certainly not definitely indicative of displacement of the Paleozoic fauna by the modern fauna in a manner not unlike the earlier displacement of the Cambrian fauna by the Paleozoic. The main differences between the two interactions are that the Paleozoic modern interaction involved more kinds of animals, slower rates of replacement, and of course, interference from the Permian and Triassic extinction events. The actual nature of these differences, and indeed the plausibility of the entire displacement hypothesis, must remain vague until further analysis can be made of the groups involved, their rates of diversification, and the biases affecting their appearance in the fossil record. However, it should be noted that this hypothesis is consistent with ideas by Thayer, 1979, and Vermege, uh, 1977, on ecological causes for the decline of the Paleozoic fauna. These authors have suggested that increasing intensity of distur disturbance by bioturbation um, and of predation by a slowly diversifying modern fauna may have led to the demise of the epifaunal suspension feeders that dominated the Paleozoic fauna. The patterns of diversification evident in this, in figure 5, thus could be considered a map of this ecological displacement. Patterns at other taxonomic levels. The simplicity of pattern produced by the factor analysis of families within classes seems to suggest, at first encounter, an underlying simplicity to the Phanerozoic history of life in the seas. However, it might be possible that this simplicity is spurious, reflecting the taxonomic categories selected for analysis, rather than any actual evolutionary patterns. More specifically, it might be that the small number of factors needed to explain the clade data is mostly a function of the long durations and mild temporal fluctuations in the sizes of the large classes that dominate the data. To test this possibility, I repeated the entire analysis on numbers of marine families within metazoan orders. This increased the number of variables from 90 to 384 and decreased the average duration of the taxa from approximately 300 million years to just 200, just under 200 million years. Both of these changes serve to increase the total amount of variance in the data set considerably. However, the results of factor analyzing the families within orders were very similar to those reported above. The first three factors, with, uh, which again formed a distinct group on the scree graph, were almost identical in stratigraphic distribution to those illustrated in figure 3, although now accounting for about 11% fewer data, um, i.e. 79.3% versus 90.8%. Again, loadings were positive, or near zero, over all 63 stratigraphic intervals, and more than 90% of the large, i.e. greater than plus or minus 0.05, scores for the orders were positive. Thus, these three factors represent the same three great evolutionary faunas that seem to pervade the diversity data. However, as opposed to the analysis of families within classes, the three, quote, big factors for families within orders began to break up as more and more factors were added and rotated. For example, an eight-factor eight solution, which accounted for almost 95% of the ordinal-level data, contains, quote, remnants of the three great faunas, together accounting for 65.7% of the data, as well as a tomotion factor, 3% of the data. Um, CF factor 4 above, and four more factors apparently relating to major evolutionary radiations. 
These were a lower Cambrian factor, 4.4%, an Ordovician factor, 4.6%, a Triassic factor, 3.5%, and a Cenozoic factor, 13.5%. The last of these three factors were very similar in stratigraphic distribution to the positive portions of factors 4 and 7 in figure 4. However, in the analysis of families within orders, the new factors were allotted greater statistical importance and received positive large scores from many more taxa so that they appeared like evolutionary faunas of secondary importance, rather than simple variations upon themes. This was not true of factors beyond eight, which had smaller non-dominant loadings with positive and negative signs. These minor factors picked up the small temporal contrasts within both the primary and secondary evolutionary faunas. Summary. The nature of faunal change that is presented in taxonomic data drawn for the Phanerozoic marine fossil record seems to be rather simple. Factor analysis suggests that much of the temporal variation in the number of families within metazoan classes and within the metazoan orders can be accounted for by assembling the marine taxa into three great evolutionary faunas. There is some turnover in... Wait, was that... Oh, sorry. Uh, one a Cambrian fauna that dominates the Cambrian fossil record but decays rapidly in importance during the post-Cambrian portion of the Paleozoic era. 2. A Paleozoic fauna that is present during the Cambrian period but grows in importance primarily during the Ordovician and remains dominant until the Permian extinctions at the close of the Paleozoic era. 3. A Mesozoic-Cenozoic, or, quote, modern fauna that first attains appreciable diversity during the Ordovician radiations, grows slowly in importance throughout the remainder of the Paleozoic era, and then ascends rapidly to dominance with the Permian extinctions. This is still the dominant evolutionary fauna in the oceans to this day. There is some turnover in taxonomic composition within each of the three evolutionary faunas during their periods of dominance, but this seems to be only, quote, background change that is minor compared to the magnitude of change during the ascent and decline of the major faunas. Each evolutionary fauna appears to be associated with a distinct phase of diversification in the world ocean. The Cambrian fauna is associated with, or is responsible for, the radiations of the early Cambrian period and the diversity plateau of the mid to late Cambrian. The Paleozoic fauna is associated with the Ordovician radiations and the long Paleozoic equilibrium. And finally, the modern fauna is associated with the rebound from the Permian and Triassic extinctions and the subsequent maximum in marine diversity. During periods of expansion of new faunas, the previously dominant fauna decays away uh, in a manner suggestive of displacement. Thus, the Cambrian fauna declines approximately exponentially as the expanding Paleozoic fauna increases diversity beyond the level of the late Cambrian period. The Paleozoic fauna then behaves similarly during the Mesozoic-Cenozoic interval, but only after expansion of the modern fauna increases diversity above the approximate level of the Paleozoic equilibrium. These patterns of diversity may reflect ecological displacement of each evolutionary fauna by its successor. This is the second reading uh, for Paleobio this week, or for this lecture, um, titled Evolutionary Faunas uh, 1.6. I assume it's a textbook chapter of some sort, and it looks like Sepkowski wrote this in 1990. Evolutionary faunas are sets of higher taxa, especially classes, that have similar histories of diversification and together dominate the biota for an extended interval of geological time. 
the expansion and decline of evolutionary faunas can be used to describe large-scale variations in faunal dominance and to interpret temporal changes in global taxonomic diversity in the fossil record. The concept was introduced by Sepkoski in 1981, who identified three, quote, great evolutionary faunas in the Phanerozoic marine record. These faunas were defined statistically in a factor analysis of familial diversity with taxonomic classes, which grouped together classes that attained their maximum diversities around the same time. The analysis permitted the histories of aggregate faunas to be traced from initial diversification through dominance into, and into decline. This treatment of the faunas as units throughout their histories distinguishes the concept of evolutionary faunas as uh, from that of, quote, dynasties used by some authors for assemblages of dominant taxa during specified intervals of geologic time. Marine evolutionary faunas. Characteristics. The three evolutionary faunas identified in the marine fossil record are the Cambrian fauna, important during the Cambrian period, the Paleozoic fauna, dominant from the Ordovician to the Permian, and the modern or Mesozoic Cenozoic fauna, dominant in the post-Paleozoic. The classes in each fauna share a number of characteristics or central tendencies, suggesting that they are not randomly assembled groups of taxa. The most striking characteristic is that the classes tend to diversify together, each successive fauna displaying a slower rate of diversification, but a higher level of maximum diversity than those preceding it. These properties lead to a sequential expansion of evolutionary faunas and a resultant step-like pattern of increase in global marine diversity with the step between Paleozoic and modern faunas disrupted by the massive late Permian extinction event. This pattern is present even though most marine classes originated early in the Phanerozoic, and the total number of classes has remained virtually constant since. The expansion of each evolutionary fauna is associated with the decline of the previous, previously dominant fauna. The declines are much slower than the initial diversifications, giving the faunas very asymmetrical histories. Such a pattern is difficult to simulate in, quote, random models of diversification, but can be described with coupled logistic equations in the form, uh, long equation, I'm not going to read. Probably going to skip the uh, description for the variables as well. This equation states that an evolutionary fauna will diversify and replace the preceding fauna only if its initial diversification rate is lower and the equilibrium diversity is higher. If our initial is higher, the evolutionary fauna will expand so rapidly that the preceding fauna will never appear to diversify. If uh, d caret initial is lower, the evolutionary fauna will never be able to expand and replace the preceding one. Thus, the coupled logistic equation suggests a certain inevitability in the sequential diversification of evolutionary faunas, although it does not specify their timing or relative differences in maximum diversity. Classes within evolutionary faunas tend to have similar mean rates of taxonomic turnover. Classes in the Cambrian fauna tended to have high turnover rates, those in the Paleozoic fauna intermediate rates, and those in the modern fauna comparatively low rates, with some exceptions in all cases. These differences are reflected in the responses of faunas to mass extinctions. The Cambrian fauna suffered large proportional reductions in diversity relative to the Paleozoic fauna during mass extinctions in the Ashgillian and Frasnian, and the Paleozoic fauna suffered more than the modern at all major mass extinctions of the Phanerozoic. This differential reaction seems to have led to the great change in faunal dominance associated with the late Permian mass extinction. Evolutionary fauna also seem to have differing ecological characteristics. 
the Cambrian fauna tended to be assembled into a broadly into broadly integrating communities that were dominated by generalized deposit feeders and grazers, and had low epifaunal and infaunal tiering. Communities of the Paleozoic fauna were dominated by epifaunal suspension feeders with complex tiering. Many other ecological guilds were also represented, so that the whole fauna as a so that the fauna as a whole seems to have occupied more quote eco space than the Cambrian fauna. Finally, the modern fauna is represented by yet more guilds and is characterized by large numbers of durophagous predators in mobile deep infauna uh, and mobile deep infauna. Um, epifaunal tiering is reduced in most communities. Sepkowski and Miller in Valentin, uh, 1985, demonstrated that evolutionary faunas tended to form coherent assemblages within shelf environments throughout the Paleozoic era. Most of the Cambrian fauna were spread across the entire shelf early in the Paleozoic era, but became progressively restricted to deeper water environments during the Ordovician as members of the Paleozoic fauna expanded across the middle and finally outer shelf. At the same time, early members of the modern fauna came to dominate inner shelf environments and later deeper low oxygen environments. The late Permian mass extinction eliminated dominance of the Paleozoic fauna from the middle and outer shelf environments and led to the expansion of the modern fauna across the entire shelf. It must be emphasized that none of these evolutionary and ecological differences between faunas is absolute. In a sense, faunas are, quote, fuzzy bounded sets, unquote, with their characteristics overlapping and some members of each fauna mimicking members of others. The characteristics thus represent nodes on a continuum. Major unsolved problems are why such nodes should exist and why they seem to change so little during the Phanerozoic. Composition and history. The individual histories of the marine evolutionary faunas are illustrated in figure two. The Cambrian fauna was dominated by trilobites along with inarticulate brachiopods, mono placophorans, hyoliths, and uh, eocrinoids. Most of the po problem, sorry, problematical taxa of the so-called small shelly faunas of the Timotian are also included. Various of these classes are paraphyletic, with descendant monophyletic taxa belonging to either evolutionary faunas, other evolutionary faunas. However, in most cases, the paraphyletic classes either declined long before their descendant taxa diversified, e.g. the monoplacophora, or contained monophyletic subtaxa that diversified in parallel with the rest of the evolutionary fauna, e.g. the inarticulata. The Cambrian fauna diversified very rapidly from the latest Vendian into the early Cambrian and was the principal constituent of the, quote, evolutionary explosion across the Precambrian, the Precambrian-Cambrian boundary. Its maximum diversity was attained in the late, middle, and early late Cambrian. Beginning in the latest Cambrian, the fauna began a long gradual decline, accentuated by the Ashgillian and Frasnian mass extinctions. The Paleozoic fauna initiated its expansion as the uh, Cambrian fauna began to decline. This combination resulted in nearly stable global diversity throughout the late Cambrian. The Paleozoic fauna was dominated by articulate brachiopods with important contributions from crinoids, corals, ostracodes, uh, cephalopods, and sten stenom there it is again, stenolamate uh, bryozoans. These groups were major components of the Ordovician radiations, which tripled global taxonomic diversity over a 50 million year interval. The Paleozoic fauna attained its maximum diversity from the late Ordovician to Devonian, and then began a long decline. 
during the Carboniferous and Permian, this decline was matched by a slow expansion of the modern fauna so that, again, global diversity remained nearly constant. The Paleozoic fauna was severely reduced by the late Permian mass extinctions, but in, Mesozoic, in the Mesozoic underwent two radiations, one in the Triassic, terminated by the Norian mass extinction, and a second, slower expansion in the Jurassic. The Jurassic expansion was reversed in the Cretaceous when global diversity exceeded Paleozoic levels, and the remnants of the Paleozoic fauna again went into decline. The modern fauna is dominated by gastropod and bivalve mollusks, Osteichthian and chondrichthian fishes, gymnolamerate, uh, gymnolamate bryzoans, uh, malacus dracons, and echinoids. Most of these classes appeared during the Cambrian and Ordovician periods, but diversified slowly. Um, lost my spot. Through the Paleozoic era. They suffered a minor extinction relative to the Paleozoic fauna during the late Permian and became the dominant fauna in the Triassic. Through the Mesozoic and Cenozoic, the modern fauna continued the rather slow and steady diversification initiated earlier, producing the long post-Paleozoic increase in global taxonomic diversity. Throughout their histories, the three, quote, great evolutionary faunas experienced considerable internal turnover, with continuous change in ordinal and lower-level taxonomic composition. This was particularly true of the Cambrian fauna, which underwent very rapid changes during its initial radiation. It may prove useful to subdivide this fauna and divide two more evolutionary faunas, define two more evolutionary faunas, an Ediacaran fauna, encompassing the distinctive soft-bodied animal fossils of the Vendian, and a Timotian fauna, comprising the mostly problematical skeletal taxa of the earliest Cambrian. These possible faunas seem to fit into the general progression of evolutionary rates and diversity levels observed for the first three great evolutionary faunas. The Ediacaran and especially Timotian taxa appear to have had higher diversification rates and more rapid turnover than the remainder of the Cambrian fauna, and seem to show successive increases in diversity leading to the Cambrian period. Further analysis of diversity patterns and faunal change in the Vendian and early Cambrian are needed to assess whether such additional evolutionary faunas are useful for describing the early metazoan radiation. Terrestrial biotas. The concept of evolutionary faunas has proved useful for organizing faunal turnover and diversity change in the marine record and has been extended with varying success to other evolutionary systems, specifically terrestrial vascular plants and tetrapod vertebrates. Nicholas et al. 1983 identified four major plant groups, which can be termed evolutionary floras, in species-level data on uh, tracheophyte diversity, figure 1b. These are 1, an initial Silurian Devonian flora of early vascular plants that radiated and then disappeared during the Devonian, 2, a pteridophyte-dominated flora including ferns, lycopods, uh, sphenopsids, and uh, progymnosperms that diversifies in the late Devonian and early Carboniferous and dominated plant communities to the end of the Paleozoic era. Three, a gymnosperm-dominated flora of seed plants that appeared in the late Devonian and rose to dominance in the Mesozoic. And four, an angiosperm flora that dominated in the early Cretaceous and rapidly radiated to dominance thereafter, replacing the preceding gymnosperm fauna. As in the marine system, each of these floras, excepting the angiosperms, originated early in the history of vascular plants and radiated sequentially to produce step-like increases in global tracheophyte diversity. Three, quote, assemblages of terrestrial tetrapod families have been identified by Benton, 1985, 
in the vertebrate fossil record, figure 1c. These comprise, one, the labyrinthodonts, anapsids, and synapsids, which appeared during the late Paleozoic and then completely dominated the terrestrial vertebrate record to the end of the Paleozoic. Two, the early diapsids, dinosaurs, and pterosaurs, which arose in the Triassic and attained maximum diversity in the late Jurassic and Cretaceous and disappeared at the terminal Cretaceous mass extinction. And three, the Lys amphibians, turtles, crocodiles, lizards, birds, and mammals, which originated in the Triassic and Jurassic, expanded throughout the Cretaceous, and then diversified to very high levels in the Cenozoic. Although these assemblages have some similarities to marine evolutionary faunas, there are some important differences. The assemblages do not at all appear in the early history, early in the history of tetrapods, and their sequential diversifications are not at all associated with step-like increases in global diversity. It remains to be seen whether such patterns could be identified if more terrestrial taxa, e.g. from arthropods, were included and analyses performed at lower taxonomic levels. If so, evolutionary faunas and floras would appear to be a general property of the development of phanerozoic biotas.